Hi! Hey! Welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm K. Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is based on one particular idea. And it began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? That question led me in a deep dive into the history of my Christian faith, the history of, of how the, the church was developed and, and born, and, and the Bible, how that was put together, and, and how that worked, and what happened to the Reformation, and all those things up to and beyond. And it was in that journey, that deep dive, that I began to look into Catholic theology for the very first time, from the words, from the church's own words. I realized then that what I thought I knew about Catholics was based in large part on misinformation and more often than not on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap, the gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic faith. No misinformation here. And this week it's a gloves off episode. I am joined by Katie McGrady to talk about crappy ways to share the faith. <laughs> okay, we're as cordial as possible, and we are really cordial in this conversation, but really it's it's looking at some of the awful ways that we've encountered people trying to share the faith, how those things turn off those looking into the faith, like maybe you guys listening to the show, it did for me as a, as a convert to the faith, and how we can do better at the core, how we can do better. It's a fun, it's a lively, it's a wonderful conversation that I think you will love. Some really honest moments here, some great unpacking. It's a wonderful time. I hope you enjoy it. I think that you will. This podcast is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic and our one-time sponsors at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. You guys help to keep this show going and growing week after week and make it possible to begin with. And I have a new patron to thank. Thank you, James, for your generous support of the show, for listening, for your feedback, and your financial support of the show. Thank you very much. Those links for you to support the show, if you're interested and curious, are in the show notes. And thank you for those who are already supporting this show with your prayers by listening and your generous financial gifts. Thank you. And now, without any further ado, my fantastic conversation with Katie McGrady on crappy ways to share the faith. <laughs> Please listen and enjoy. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you. Please subscribe to the channel. We're slowly, I think it's finally growing this channel actually, growing the channel. Please subscribe, uh, hit the bell, all those fun things to do on YouTube. And if you're listening uh, on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please leave a rating or review. Those help to push the podcast out to new people. Guys, uh, hold on tight because this week we're going to get, uh, I don't know, the gloves are coming off. Is that an expression? I, I'm not <laughs> it's sure. A, it's a thing. I shouldn't let me lead with that. I am joined by Katie Prejean McGrady. Uh, she is a wife and a mother, the host of the aptly named Katie McGrady Show on Sirius XM uh, Catholic Channel, the author of a number of fine books, the host of the Like a Mother podcast from Our Sunday Visitor, and the Ave Explorers from Ave Maria Press. Each week, Katie and her husband Tom produce a fantastic family mass prep episode for the Hallow app, which is 
awesome. We love that. And most importantly, she is the proud owner of a beautiful new backyard patio <laughs> with a bar that I must say, Katie, looks fantastic. Looks great. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And we didn't have to build it. We just bought oh, it. So it was even better. That's amazing. Katie, uh, welcome to the show. And thank yeah. you for being here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Uh, okay. Um, there's a lot to to begin with. Okay, but but first of all, I want to say this yeah. before we start here. We're going to talk about kind of the idea of, uh, well, okay, I, I'm going to call the show, and this is very uncordial of me, but crappy ways to share to share the faith. Okay, and I want to say before I begin any of that stuff, you are, I think, the most sane person that I that I follow on Catholic, <laughs> which maybe says a lot about who I follow. Who are you following? Yeah. <laughs> but I got to say, like, you know, honestly, just, just speaking truthfully and, and maybe personally for a second here, Kitty, I joined the church in like 2015. My wife and I, we were, we were evangelicals before that. And I began to slowly follow Catholic people on, on Twitter. And I think you're one of the, the, the early people that I followed. I don't know how I, I found you or why <laughs> I found you on Twitter, but I found you on Twitter and began to follow you. And you, you have honestly stood out for the, the last uh, nearly decade that I followed mm. you uh, as somebody who's, who's just quite sane and quite oh, Catholic. thank you. Oh, That's Catholic. so nice to hear. It's, it's true. Maybe you don't feel sane some days. I'm sure you don't. You're a parent and I'm a parent too. I, and I, yeah. I get that feeling. But there's, there is, and this discussion is going to be kind of about this, but there's so yeah. much, kind of garbage is maybe too strong of a word, but so, so many crappy ways that you see mm-hmm. people doing crappy things out there that, that that aren't sharing the faith that are that are detracting from the the joy mm-hmm. of of the faith that are that are counter evangelizing but you, know, you are a great person to talk about this topic with because you you i, I think do a great job and you're mm-hmm. not crazy <laughs> can you just come to my family yeah, in the other yeah. room? That, I'll let them know. Everyone in my immediate contact yeah. list is getting that can, intro. It's just like, see, guys, like I'm not nuts. Yeah, not not nuts. <laughs> Certified not nuts. I don't know if I have the, I, if I'm able to make that judgment call. No, I am. I am. Well, they online. Perhaps I'm more yeah. sane. I get a little fired up <laughs> offline, and I I test tweets on my husband, and he's like, oh, no, maybe don't say that. You know. <laughs> I think I send probably one of them. 10 tweets that I write actually, actually send. It's true. So, it's the drafts folder. Yes. Who man, like it, in our canonization processes, if we ever make it that far, I like, let's gotta, hope they yeah. don't go into the drafts gotta, or they don't go into like the, the potential tweets that could have been. <laughs> you gotta erase that first. But it's true, right? And I think it's a good Catholic practice though to mm-hmm. have a, a large drafts folder and maybe a smaller yeah. actual folder of sent tweets that you've, yeah. That you've yeah, sent yeah. out. Okay, so the, the idea for this conversation, I don't know, we, we, we kind of keep things back and forth uh, this mm-hmm. afternoon on, on, on Instagram. And uh, you brought up this topic and I thought this is a great topic because first of all, you said some things about this that, that are that are outspoken on Twitter that I love. Uh, <laughs> same things, cordial things. I've said things too on this topic and this has been some, one of those things that has got me thinking and, and uh, I don't know, bugged me. It's, it's maybe again, too strong of a word. <laughs> I, we're trying to be... <laughs> Cordial you're, on this you're show. doing such a nice job being so nice oh, and i just want to give you permission like we can, gloves can come off like i know okay. you're not coming for me there are We're a lot of for the dumb others. things yeah <laughs> but there there are a lot of crappy ways people can share the faith uh, in yeah. different places in person on, on on twitter on on instagram and social media i want to dig into some of the ways that that you've seen that we've seen that people are doing things that that aren't great that are detracting from the faith and i do want to circle around to good ways we yeah. can kind of share the faith uh yeah as a as a, a bow on the end of the discussion but i want to begin with some crappy ways and i want to ask you maybe this this question mm-hmm. and i have yeah. my own answer to this question too that i can share afterwards and we can <laughs> but the the crappiest 
What, what do you what do you think like the crappiest way you've seen somebody try and share the faith with on, mm. on, in person on social media? Have you seen some real crap out there before? Katie? Oh yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. I um, I think back to sophomore year of high school. Like we'll go all the way back to the early two thousands. <laughs> it's, it's good therapy session. Um, it's a good therapy session. Well, so this, I'm a cradle Catholic, born and raised in a Catholic family. My mom's a convert, so she's incredibly zealous. Yeah. Daily mass goers as kids, um, like, you know, recovering female altar server, like the whole nine yards. Um, super involved. And I got to, we have one Catholic high school in my diocese. And I used, I taught there for a while too. So and my dad went there, like, this is a, a family, a family place. Like, I know this place very well. And my sophomore year of high school, I did not have her. Blessedly, the Lord provided <laughs> reprieve. Excuse me, junior year of high school. Junior year of high school. Provided reprieve because there was one section of junior theology that was taught by the senior theology teacher who is God's gift to high school students. Like just this loving, kind. She was a mom who went and got her theology degree after raising her kids well, and like wanted to share the faith. So I had I had Miss D as my theology teacher. Everybody else had this other teacher. Let's just call her Miss M. If any Louisiana folks know who I'm talking about, they immediately know who she is. She was the most sour faced Catholic. This is not very cordial of me for saying this, but I don't think she knows how to get to podcasts. So I'm not sure oh she'll ever hear this. Um, so she was just sour. And like, there's this line from Pope Francis that like, we shouldn't just be like forever Lent Catholics. Um, I believe the exact translation is like sourpuss Catholics. And I love that phrase. Cause like, you can't really say that phrase in common with that people being like, are you from the fifties? Like, where are you? Did you walk out of a black and white silent film? But like, she was just a sour woman. She had just, she had never had anything nice to say to teenagers. She didn't like kids. It's like, why are you a teacher? You literally spend your day with 15 year olds. Either you're just looking for an easy out from purgatory or you can't do anything else. And like, I think that might've been what it is. I think sometimes people evangelize in the church because they think, well, that's the only way to be Catholic is if I like have some sort of platform or if I have like something to say. And it's like for like centuries and centuries, most Catholics just like went to church and went home and lived their Catholic lives. They didn't have podcasts. They didn't have YouTube. They didn't have Twitter. Like they just lived their Catholic faith or they weren't in the front of classrooms with a bunch of high school students literally teaching heresy. Like, like this woman at one point told us that the Eucharist, I had friends in the class and she like, oh, the Eucharist is a symbol. And I'm like, I'm like a hundred percent sure since I was seven that that is not it. I had very good second grade formation for first communion. So she was just a sour woman and it wasn't even the bad theology or like her methodology in the classroom, which was basically just worksheets and define terms and watch a Robert Barron video back when he was father, Robert Barron, which are fine. Those are perfectly good. Uh, this is not a knock on, on Barron by any means, but like she was watching them in the OG days, like DVD Catholicism series, handwritten notes kind of thing. And it was her attitude. She did not seem happy one about her job two about being Catholic and I think that is like the death blow. I'm not saying we all have to be happy, clappy, walk around. Jesus is great. But like, we also can't be miserable 100% of the time. You can have a bad day, but not all the bad days. <laughs> and like, that was the worst. It, it, I, I literally had the thought at some point in my junior year, she's been Catholic her whole life. And if she's this miserable, yeah. and I believe she had like left the convent at some point, because every now and then like you'd hear stories of how she had been a nun and didn't make it. And so then it's like, also like you didn't like, you weren't happy as a nun, maybe that none of them are happy. And I didn't have that much experience with religious life. She just, the attitude and the demeanor was the crappiest witness to Catholicism. And it took a long time. 
I'm not a big fan of the deconstruction term because I think it gets misused a lot, but like it took a long time to deconstruct in my head that that is not what Catholicism is, is not this angry sourness that I got from her. Easily the crappiest way. And I've seen a lot of crappy stuff since, but easily the crappiest way. Well, a couple of things, like, first of all, you're so, those are formative years for you. As yeah. Catholic, right? And you're, and you're, you're seeing somebody who's an aged Catholic mm-hmm. who's under for a long time, who like, right. And you go, well, is that what I'm, is that what I'm aiming for? That just seems like, it's one thing I, we have a weird kind of uh, publicly funded Catholic school system here where yeah, I am. In yeah, case. Yeah. It's a very, very strange system. It's a holdover from our constitutional days when they wanted to appease the Catholics by funding both the Protestant school board and the Catholic school board. And, and this has continued now until today. And it's a weird kind of nominally Catholic school board in, in many parts. But what this has created is for me as a evangelical kid going to the public high school, I would see these Catholic high school kids and they knew all the best drugs were or you yeah. know where to find the best drugs and how to party the hardest with the, with the catholic school kids because they were nominally catholic and that was bad enough for me as a tool for evangelism because i would see the catholics and go oh yeah well they're not they're not christian they're not, they're saved. not living it yeah they're they're going to the parties and doing the drugs and, and whatever but even worse i think to see that from a, a catholic teacher at a mm-hmm. catholic high school mm-hmm. you, you go right is this what i'm what I'm aiming towards is this the goal to be a yeah. sour, a sourpuss Catholic. Like, yeah, 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 I can see that being detrimental, right? Yeah, it, it definitely. I mean, I went through that typical like at a certain point in your high school phase, you question yeah, everything, yeah. and we get confirmed in junior year in my diocese. So I was, my parents were great. They said you don't have to finish, you don't have to get confirmed, but you have to go to class. You have to do the, the coursework. And then my mom did that. Like she signed up and she was the teacher. So. Okay, so like now she's like really going to work hard because that was, again, early 2000s. All the confirmation prep was done in home. Basically, we all had workbooks and I, you know, became Catholic because the antidote to her sourness, which was certainly affecting far more than just me, was this incredible deacon, God rest his soul, Deacon Glenn Vayu, who was our academic administrator at the school. And he he uh, had this very thick New Orleans accent and a little bit of a lisp and a bit of a hunchback, a very distinct looking man. And he would keep change in his pocket and he would jingle it so you could hear him walking down the halls and like you could hear him for a mile and he would come into classrooms his thing was observing teachers just to pop in just see what's going on in the classroom the thing that i hated as a teacher later on uh but loved as a student because you could see the teacher like instantly get into like i'm going to be a dynamic educator now i'm not just going to pass out a worksheet again i didn't have this woman so i'm just like watching from afar her sourness and her attitude and even getting it from like across the hall. So clearly it was affecting people inside the classroom. But I raised my hand in class one day and was like debating my my very kind teacher about God's goodness versus like evil in the world. How could a good God allow evil? An age old question that like a budding atheist would be asking. <laughs> and so we're debating back and forth, back and forth. And I clearly did not win the argument, but Deacon Vayu tapped me on the shoulder and he said, do you want to come talk to me after school about all of this? I thought I was in trouble. I go into his office. He offers me a cup of coffee. We sit down and just talk for like 30 minutes. He handed me a copy of Frank Sheed's Theology for Beginners. And he said, yes. I'd love to chat with you about this on the regular. He ends up becoming my confirmation sponsor. And I obviously like went through with it. And my whole life is different because of yes. one sour Catholic versus like one Catholic who was willing to engage in conversation, but also like was happy. And again, this isn't to say that the only good evangelization that happens is happy evangelization because sometimes there are heavy things or hard things and like you don't have to have a smile plastered on your face all the time. But there has to be something that's animated you beyond just the obligation 
to do all this Catholic stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's not love if it's just this sour obligation. And so like the antidote to her and her terrible witness, and I, you know, that's maybe I'm being mean. I'm sure she's a good person on her own, but in a classroom and in the school setting, absolutely not. Was this guy who was willing to take the time and was willing to give this joyful witness. And it was about so much more than just the nitty gritty theology of theology for beginners. It was really just like, what do you long for? Like, what's your purpose in life? Like, what are you hoping to accomplish? What do you want to achieve? Would affirm gifts in me. We stayed friends up until he passed away, passed away quite suddenly uh, in 2019. Um, he went in for a routine procedure in Houston, Texas, and he never came home. Like his wife didn't even go with him to yeah. the hospital. Uh, just utterly tragic, but also like so appropriate that that's how he went. It was just like that he was too good for this world. Um, and so I think like I compare those two people because they were so stark yeah. in my mind. And because uh, sixteen years old, it's a hugely important year. Yeah, that's a, that's an amazing. I love Katie that that contrast. Mm-hmm. That's that's so that's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> those two yeah. in contrast. And you're you're right about. Oh, the, the, you can not have a good day. You can suffer as a Catholic. You will suffer as a Catholic, right? But you, there's a difference between being a, a sourpuss and being mm-hmm. somebody who's Catholic and faithful and suffering. Mm-hmm. And so there's a big difference there, right? In, yeah. In, in, those, well, in the attitude. Yeah. It's the attitude, I think it is rooted in really your. And I would never purport to understand what this woman's relationship sure, with yeah, God is. So yeah, we can just talk generally yeah. now in the sense of, like if I have a transactional relationship with God where I do something, he does something for me, obviously if like things are not going my way, well then God's not good. As opposed to like recognizing that there's so much beyond my control, what I can control is my reaction and, and my approach and my like sanctification of suffering by either embracing it or recognizing, you know, that, that God never allows an evil from which a greater good could not be drawn. And and so I, th- I think the relationship with God is what ultimately animates the presentation to the world, to the people randomly, the people that you have deep, intimate relationships with, you know, the people that you're getting to know or sharing the faith with, even just very casually, it starts with the internal before it can ever become external. Yeah, I, that that's great. I, I have experience of a contrast like that. I hadn't thought of this ahead of time, but I was going through the RCAA process, becoming mm-hmm. Catholic, and I I just kind of called up the closest parish to my to my our house at the time. I didn't know that they were, there were differences in parishes and there were some more lively parishes and there were some parishes that maybe were a bit more sleepy and I called up a bit of a sleepy parish, mm-hmm. it turns out. And so the RCAA course, this is 2014, 15, mind you, was done with VHS tapes, wheeled out on a little VCR. <laughs> they, you know, they wheeled the TV out, kind of like, yep. the the handouts were all kind of photocopied mm-hmm. from, I don't think it was even photocopied. It was like, lithograph like copies it was like <laughs> the before photocopying was a thing these were the, the copies that were made here and it was rough for me because i had read for years about the catholic church and i was i was you know i'd, I'd read my way into the church i agreed to all the different things that the church believed i had to do the final the final process and become catholic and so it was challenging it was made more challenging by some of the curmudgeons who were part mm-hmm. of this program people who would who had signed up to be like sponsors to sponsor mm. new new Catholics, or to some of the kind of grumpiest, most gospely people that I had encountered. Yeah. And I kind of thought, like, is this what I'm signing up for? Yeah. Like, we're, we're just here kind of to, to check boxes. There was no, like, sense of, 
of of joy or of passion mm-hmm. or of like a relationship with Christ. Yeah. In some of these people, and you know, again, like like you said, I don't want to, I, I don't, I can't judge their circumstances or their or their hearts or their minds. I don't know what was going on, and and perhaps mm-hmm. I was just too naive and too new of a becoming Catholic to recognize what was how they actually live their faith out. But mm-hmm. I get there and there'd be gossip about oh who's done this and who's done what, and I was like, this isn't like this isn't awesome. Mm-hmm. But then in kind of the, in the middle of our RCAA program, this this elderly priest, I don't even remember his name anymore, and I, and I, I think he's still alive, and he must be 200 years old by now, I think, because he was really <laughs> old then. He shuffles in, and he's the first priest who's come actually wearing his his clerical yeah. garb. Other priests had come kind of just in casual clothes, like a whole, you know Hawaiian prince shirt or whatever, and even the sister who ran the course was a sister who, who didn't wear a habit. Mm-hmm. It was all very like... Oh, we don't kneel anymore. We pray. Mm-hmm. We don't have to do this. It casual. was. It was very much. It yeah. was very casual. Not the Catholic Church that I thought I was entering into. Right? That it was mm-hmm. reverent and holy and believed in these certain things. So he was the first guy, like this, this kind of bright light, this bright beacon of a priest who kind of shuffled in, and he he was so earnest and so honest, and mm-hmm. you know he was he was frail back then. So I don't imagine what he's like now, but he was he was doing it like he was there to be a priest and be amongst us and to teach us and to to bless us and pray with us mm-hmm. and he came twice to our program and those two nights out of the the months we did this program which was so in- impactful to me to see his witness as this guy who who was you know he was selling the catholic faith that i was buying like that was mm-hmm. like that's yeah. the wrong metaphor but the, no the, but that's the, a good the, way of putting it you know, yeah. the, the faith that he was practicing was the faith that I was seeking after that yeah. I had that I couldn't find in people who were complaining and gossiping and kind of just there to I don't know be social with their friends and mm-hmm. and probably had done this program for for twenty years and just that's what they did they just were sponsoring this program and and that for me was evangelization done right mm-hmm. right and I think that all he was doing is just living out his Catholic faith <laughs> you yeah. know honestly yeah. and earnestly I, I don't know Rem- yeah re- remembering. Like why he said yes yeah. in the first place, sure. and I, yeah, I think yeah. it's hard to it's it's easy to get away from it. Like I'm not going to sit here and blame a sourpuss Catholic for becoming that, yeah. because sometimes it's circumstances, sometimes yeah. it's it's experiences, sometimes it's you know bad priests or bad people or you know a terrible experience or irreverence or whatever it is. Like there's always probably some sort of trigger that puts a person in the foul mood Catholicism. So. It, yeah, like there, there's a reason for it, but then there's such something, something so refreshing. I guess is really the word I'm looking for here. It's it's like a a, a nice cold drink of water on a hot day, in encountering the Catholic who loves it, who loves their faith, and who isn't isn't trying to sell you a bill of goods, isn't trying to convince you like, oh, this is the only way to be Catholic, but says like, well, this is this is my expression of faith, and this is what it means for me to be Catholic, and I'm proud to be, and this is how I live it. Uh, that really can, I think, draw folks in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the and the contrast is so. I have a big thing about the the hot take. Okay, ha! and I know this is like, and, and there's different. I mean, I don't know. You're feeling you you hot take maybe sometimes. I don't know. Is that I, fair to say? I used to. I used to a lot more. This is okay. It's, I'm, it's okay. really interesting that you say you found me and I was sane because <laughs> there was a period of time on Twitter when I wasn't. And like, I have been trying to track when it pivoted. I don't know if it was COVID. I don't know if it was when I had kids. 
maybe a second kid. I don't think it was when I started the radio show because I definitely mellowed by then. But like I used to be a hot take machine <laughs> thinking that's the way to win. Yes. Okay. As if Twitter is something you can win. Yeah. And it's not. It's just a news <laughs> forum. I mean, come on, guys. Like nobody wins that. <laughs> I love that. Well, I, <laughs> okay. I w- was, I, l- I learned long ago from my friend, Don Mark Grodi from the Coming Home Network, Journey Home, Marcos mm-hmm. Grodi's son, lovely guy we connected many years ago and he's big into the virtues and one of the things that he taught me early on in our conversations about virtue and actually we had a we had a podcast that never got released to the world for three episodes we recorded one was on on, on virtues and hot takes that was never released and i lost on a hard drive that that, that died years ago but <laughs> to the ether it's the ether, yeah it's gone there somewhere like you know the lord knows he's heard it and and, and saw fit to <laughs> destroy the hard drive <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that he told me was that I think is so that really has informed my thinking about a lot of evangelization and ways to share the faith is that the hot take is is antithetical to the Catholic practice of of prudence mm-hmm. or temperance, right? The idea that you you don't need to express the first thing that you think mm-hmm. as Catholics. We actually should be slowing down and going, okay, do I need to say this thing? Is this a prudent mm-hmm. thing to say before before we say it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which I think, right. You say you used to try and win this thing, win this Twitter. Like I think a lot of, a lot of people have that same urge, right? Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. gotta post this thing to get the likes. I gotta share this thing to yeah. get to get the get good replies and 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 do something. But so many times, that way that you get, that you think maybe you're sharing the faith by mm-hmm. sharing this like thing you just thought of and are putting out there, is going to actually do more damage or mm-hmm. or I don't know. As a recovering well, hot, hot taker. What, what uh, do it you does. Think? Well, it, you're, I think you're getting at something here that, yes, there's prudence is necessary, of course, in all things, right? Like in how much you drink and in, in how much money you choose to spend on a back patio bar spontaneously <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> how and, much? And like, ah, let's not talk about it, but it's worth it um, because life of abundance. Yeah. But I, uh, I, I think that Twitter, the, the medium of social media lends itself to the the perpetual scroll right so like twitter especially there's no end like you can't scroll to the bottom there is no bottom because there's always something new feeding the top like and if if people stop feeding the top it stops existing so the juggernauts the larger accounts the people who make money off of these social media platforms be it instagram social media tiktok whatever it is feeding the endless scroll will constantly try to create conversations, topics, whatever it might be, discourse is the word that's used on Twitter. And we we become, we think that we are consuming something and yet we have become consumed. And we think that we are creating something, but, but what's actually being created is this monster of feed me, feed me, feed me. Oh, I need to feed back the machine, right? Like it's, it's the jukebox. Oh, I put a quarter in to get the song. I liked the song. So let me put another quarter in. And the next thing you know, you're out of quarters and there's like, there's a conclusion to the music, right? So, so that's maybe not a good analogy because I just said there's no conclusion to Twitter, but I think there, there was a phase of my Twitter years where I thought the way to win Twitter or, or maybe this way, the way to win souls was to simply try to win because there used to be in the early days of Catholic Twitter, and some folks might remember this, it was kind of a small little niche community of like the same voices with like, you know, smaller platforms like chiming in from time to time. But there was kind of a jovialness to it. There was a casualness to it. And then you start getting check marks and then you start getting larger people who are coming on 
not to engage in discourse conversation, but to simply share, go look at this thing, go buy this thing, go watch this thing, or like listen to my one particular opinion, but I'm never going to reply to anybody else and like actually have conversation. And, and I, I had two distinct moments. I had an email from Dr. Tim O'Malley, who's a good friend of mine. And Tim has kind of arrived at different places of my career and, and we've had like personal conversations about things that I needed to do professionally. Like I am on radio and in podcasting because of Tim saying, you need to figure out something else to do besides travel all the time because it's going to kill you. And he wasn't wrong. It was. It was killing me. It was killing my family. It was killing my marriage. So he was like, he gave me some really good advice in the lobby of the Marriott in Baltimore, Maryland. Like I distinctly remember where I was and how much I cried and this great piece of information. And I also remember where I was when I got an email from him. I was sitting in a residence inn in Peachtree City, Georgia. And I was up there for a parish mission. And I was there from like a Sunday morning to a Wednesday night. So quite a long stretch of time. And I was in, I couldn't even tell you what the Twitter debate was about, but I was, oh, I do remember. It was about the, um, this was in 2018. It was about the precedent. I don't even remember this, but they invited three of us from the United States to go represent the United States at this gathering at the Vatican. This document was written. The document had come out and people were mad. Because it doesn't matter what the Vatican does these days. Someone's going to be mad. And normally, I think I would have just like let it fly off my back. But I was one of the people that wrote this document. And so I was defensive. And when you're defensive on Twitter, you're not cordial. When you're defensive on Twitter, you turn into a sourpuss. When you're defensive on Twitter, you, you throw hot takes thinking these are my bombs that will destroy my enemy. And so I was defensive. And Tim sent me this lovely email. I saved it. I have it archived in my Gmail that basically said, you don't have to win because there is no winning and you don't have to reply to everything because those people don't matter. Not that they like they matter as human beings, but they don't matter to your well-being or to your ministry or to your perspective. And it was this fundamental shift of I cannot waste my life correcting people on the internet or even saying things on the internet Because what's more valuable, saying it to my spouse to whom I can have a wonderful conversation with or saying it to these followers, some of whom will engage with it and will have fruitful conversation, but most of whom will maybe take it from their own place of defensiveness or or like they'll see it and they'll totally take something out of context, which happens all the time on the radio. But like I can deal with that there because I know that people are are jumping from station to station to station. But on Twitter, it's there and they can scroll and they can see the track and they can see the history of it. And so you don't have to win it. You don't have to win Twitter. And if I don't have to win it because there is no winning, and if I can't get to the bottom of it because there is no bottom, then how am I using it versus how do I let it use me? And and really, I think it comes down to curating it. This is not a conversation about how to use social media, but like <laughs> what I've done is I very clearly curate the follow list. Yeah. So I like only want to see the people I want to see. I only reply to the things that I think are actually going to be fruitful for my soul. And I only say the things that have maybe been on my mind, like substantive things, not just like a picture of my kids, but like substantive things that have been on my mind for a while. Because that's not a hot take. That is like a lukewarm take, possibly (laughs) even a cold take, like probably going to turn into an op-ed later that I'm being paid for because why give away the content for free, (laughs) right? Um, And that I, I think is really the only way to navigate it. And if a person is caught in reading the hot takes or giving the hot takes, then like they need to cool it because that's going to burn you eventually. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is in those interactions that you're having, people are watching you. Like yeah. people are from the, from the outside public. who aren't involved yeah. in the conversation are watching you. And I can't think of the number of times I, your, your point about curating your list is so is 
Yes, I affirm that. I have like 200 people that I follow on Twitter, which is very, very low. Because I have spent time, you know, if, I, if somebody tweets like more than one thing that bothers me, I just unfollow them. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm not going to miss that button. person. Right? Yeah. yeah, mute. I think most gonna... of my list is muted. Yeah. And like maybe yeah. you get unmuted yeah. from time to time. Yeah. And, and that's kept me much more sane, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and take me out of those things. But I can't tell you the number of times that I have somebody that I, that I follow, I've seen them engaged in a debate with somebody else. I'm not even part of this conversation, but I've seen them in that debate and gone, oh, wow, I don't like yeah. that take at all. Like that doesn't, yeah. that's not, that doesn't look good on them at all, that kind mm -hmm. of opinion. And it can be somebody who's, who's otherwise, a, you know, a great theologian or a great thinker or has written mm -hmm. awesome books that I love, who then write, oh, their take on that is just, is like that? And it right. just totally shifts your opinion of them, and and the the trust of the or the you know the kind of the the, the faith you've put in them mm -hmm. as that person to see them engage in those things. So I'm thinking of this too for people who are coming into the church, mm -hmm. right? There's there there are so many opportunities to be let down by people that you have read or are or are following mm -hmm. who are out there just you know giving those hot takes, right? And it's there for everyone to kind of see. The, the cold the cold take right <laughs> much preferable. Right. we got to bring it back but there, some people say this sometimes like when they get mad at the pope oh we were never supposed to know everything happening at the vatican right. like you know the peasants of old yes. were, weren't yes. tracking the pope's movements right like they were just oh immaculate conception's doctrine and dogma now great like we believe yeah. that already and it's wonderful okay we live in 2023 so clearly we can know everything about the pope but in the same way that like maybe we weren't meant to know everything coming from every little tiny sector of the church we weren't meant to know everybody's opinion on every single thing, nor were we supposed to have like an opinion about every single thing. Like I'm an informed individual who knows yeah. incredibly little about like 90% of the stuff that's happening in American politics. I get the headlines. I read the newspaper like on Sundays when it's on my parents' coffee table. Like I, like I, I curate my news in a specific way. Because if I know more, then I'm expected to be able to say something intelligently about it. And so I'm going to choose ignorance sometimes because I also don't think like I'm the person to have a full blown opinion about what we're doing in Ukraine or whether the tax code should be changed or should masses not have to happen during COVID for a little while. I don't know. I'm going to let an expert tell me that. <laughs> and Twitter has killed expertise. Twitter has killed any sort of well-formed opinion. It's just given us all a little device that lets us have a, a megaphone for a second. And so when it comes to the faith, rather than this very personal, not private, but very personal, intimate relationship with Jesus that brings me to church on Sunday, that takes me to an adoration chapel, that allows me to encounter people one-on-one, -on -one, now I got 40,000 people waiting for my opinion on the mass readings on Sundays? Or like, what do I think about the productization of Catholicism? And like, I give a, what I think is a pretty measured response. And now all of a sudden people who make Catholic products think I'm mad that they make Catholic <laughs> products. And it's like, maybe that opinion wasn't for everyone. Maybe that was an opinion for my husband or like, maybe that was an opinion for a radio audience that could listen to the whole thought said aloud. And, and I think when it comes to the sharing of the faith, we can never be too careful. I mean, St. Paul tells us, like, if we don't have love, we're we're clanging symbols. And like a lot of us don't take to heart that if I'm a clanging symbol, that's that's noise that's hurtful. Yeah. And like there's responsibility. 
the same way that like a teacher who was a sour Catholic who like drove me from the faith for a little while, like there's responsibility there. It's not just her fault by any means. Like there's ownership on my part for receiving it that way, but it was also given in that way. And so if we're not taking quite seriously one, that the internet's forever. Two, that this is all going to be looked at in our canonization classes. Three, that our kids are one day going to see the stuff that we posted yes. on social media. Oh, Ever man. thought about that? Like your kids are going to read your posts about their fifth birthday party or like how terrible it was that they didn't sleep for the first two years of your life. So like be careful, folks. But like also the eyes of the people out there who maybe just search Catholic or who search Pope yeah. Francis or who scroll and the algorithm fed them commentary from Catholic podcasters about how everybody hates that we sell ads or like whatever it is that you have a responsibility. Don't let it keep you up at night. I'm not asking you to become anxious about it, but like to let that just kind of be a guide to our thumbs or to our acid thoughts or to those, you know, cool those hot takes just a little bit. Yeah. No, (laughs) I love that. Okay. (laughs) Let's take some gloves off for a second. (laughs) I had just like the worst experience interacting with a Catholic priest on Twitter. Yeah. That really... Can I guess who? No. Not <laughs> that would not be cordial, but I'm going to imagine because I've had my own too. <laughs> I actually forget what his name was, but I, I my, my confessor might remember his name because I went there afterwards and had to confess some things I felt that weren't very cordial. But here's the thing. So mm-hmm. I woke up this one morning and I checked Twitter, as, as you do, h- half awake, and I saw this take that was just so... Oh, like gut wrenching. It was this this well meaning, you know, Baptist guy who posts like nothing. He posts like uh, inspirational quotes and mm-hmm. and and Bible verses and stuff. Not not a, a evangelical apologist. Not somebody who's militant against Catholicism. Mm-hmm. A regular guy, regular Baptist yeah. guys from the states, and and somehow. He had posted this picture of a statue of Mary. I think it was Mary holding Jesus who's crucified. And his question was, what am I looking at here? Like, what's happening? This kind of seems strange. Mm -hmm. Why is Mary big and Christ is small on a Mm. cross? And why is she holding him? Right? His his question was very benign and not sarcastic and not rude, just an honest question. And somehow this Catholic priest had gotten a hold of this, had found this tweet somehow, you know, it wasn't like it, it didn't go viral. It wasn't like a very popular, I don't know how he found it, and kind of quote tweeted it mm-hmm. and said some really insulting things. Like, who is this guy? Is he an idiot? Is he joking? Like, give me a break. And I <laughs> I read that and I was like, wait a second. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wasn't sure that I read it properly. So I, was, I had to look at it again and look at everyone's profiles involved to make sure that this was actually a Catholic priest. But what was happening there in that tweet was an honest kind of question from an honest evangelical guy who was then r- ridiculed mm-hmm. by a Catholic priest who went, are you an idiot? Mm-hmm. Like, what's your problem? <laughs> and I, I didn't know how to take that mm-hmm. other than to be like really disturbed yeah. and think like, what, what is going on here? And actually I, I made a video that went mildly viral on Instagram, just unpacking this after the whole day of just stewing on that. Like, I couldn't mm-hmm. stop thinking about that. I, I have a very busy mm-hmm. job. I, I, I'm busy all day long. I But I couldn't get it out of my mind, this interaction. So finally, I made a little video on the car ride home and just said, mm-hmm. like, this is weird. Don't do this. If you mm-hmm. if you are tempted to do this as a, as a priest, as anybody, mm-hmm. just don't do this. Because mm-hmm. you're not only not evangelizing, not sharing the faith, you're, like, ridiculing somebody who's actually asking questions yeah. that you could you could answer 
and and help to instruct, right? And actually, I end up reaching out to this this priest and said, "Hey, I'm just a bit confused. Like, this was maybe you could have like answered this question. Like, I I think my response was very very was very cordial. I kind of crafted it and thought about it for a bit before I sent off this this little right. message. It wasn't a hot take DM to this no, priest. No, you didn't quote it, tweet him nah, and criticize just, him. He just no. blocked me. Yeah, <laughs> that of was course. It. That was the yeah. end. Not even a response. Just just an automatic block. And I thought, what are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and then what... I saw you, you a few days later comment that maybe all priests should just get off Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, um, it's the sarcastic own. And like yeah. the sarcastic own from a lay Catholic, like I, I can forgive sarcastic owns from a lot of people. Yeah. The sarcastic own from an ordained minister of the church whose literal life is given to the service of God's people is one of the most infuriating things as a Catholic. It's one of the most infuriating things as a Catholic woman who works in media because it's like, just turn the damn phone off. Like, like, don't you have more important things to do? I get that. Like you need to calm down or chill, but like on your day off, you're active or like time off. You're actively choosing to just go like be a pretty, excuse me. I probably shouldn't have said that. I apologize. To be a crappy priest on Twitter when like you could just go be a crappy priest in real life. Like you don't need to do it on your Twitter. But like here's I, sorry, I got a little angry about that because I was thinking of my own bad Twitter priest interaction where a, tw- a, a priest <laughs> of an order that I love and adore and like know some of his brothers and like texted a couple of them about all of this. He posted this really just stupid thread about how he would own charismatic catholics and be like none of the people i ever prayed over were slain in the spirit and i wouldn't let them fall over i would catch their shirts and prevent them from doing it and like prove to them that i didn't believe any of this malarkey and he's like he's trying to be funny he's not funny he's trying to be clever he's not clever he's not a good storyteller because like he basically (laughs) says like at one point he literally says i don't believe in clericalism but sometimes you can have a little clericalism fun and i'm like do you realize what you're tweeting like this thing that one, the Pope has talked about ad nauseum about how clericalism is a poison in the church. You are advertising in a habit on your Twitter that you would do that for fun just to own people who are maybe having like a legitimate moment with the Holy Spirit or are trying to. And then you're joking about it afterwards. So I called him on it. I called him on it. I said, hey, Father, maybe you shouldn't joke about this kind of thing on Twitter and got the classic, oh, you just don't understand the joke. And I was like, no, 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 I understand the joke. I'm telling you it's not funny. And I actually think like maybe you should delete it because I don't think this is helpful. And we went 10 rounds. By the end of it, I like had screenshotted it and texted it to a couple of friends. And I like made a joke about his name that I was pretty proud of. And I'm not going to say on your show because it <laughs> had to lead me to confession later on. And it was just like a whole thing. And it it has stewed in my mind for weeks. And then there was the the priest with the, the meme about religious trauma and like people just don't like being told that their sins are sins and that's why they're avoiding confession, not because they have any sort of real religious trauma. And it's like, oh my gosh, who is teaching these guys how to use yeah. the internet? And why isn't it a lay person with any sort of PR, media, HR training? Or like, why isn't it just like a, a person who loves them that says, father, you're accountable for every moment of your priesthood, public and private. And this is like a weirdly public way to be a bad priest. Yeah. If we can't have you as a good priest online, that raises about 10 red flags for me in person. If you can't handle yourself online in such a way that you give a, a good witness to Jesus Christ, turn off your phone 
because that's harmful to the church and to the people of God. And I don't think that's too absurd of a standard to have. You literally have given your life in service to the church. And if you think, well, I'm allowed to turn that off when I'm online, then you should not have taken vows as, as an ordained minister of the church. Like you should not have said yes to what the bishop asked you. Like, Full stop. And maybe that gets me in trouble, but I posted it on LaCroix International and they let me. So I'm fine with saying it on a podcast too. And got, I will say, some good feedback. Like got a couple of emails from priest friends who said it's a little harsh, but I took it to heart because like you're not wrong. And I was like, I know I'm not wrong. That's why I said it. And I'll be arrogant about that. Like I know I'm right in this take because I have to maintain the same standard in my own mind. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. I would I would never if a if a non-Catholic, this is what this priest should have thought about. If a non-Catholic had walked up to him in a Catholic bookstore and seen a statue of the Pieta, the Mary holding the crucified Jesus, and said, what am I looking at here? And said it, like, sincerely and inquiringly and, like, has found themselves in this Catholic bookstore, which is kind of sometimes what Catholic Twitter is. And you as a priest looked at him and said, you idiot. Like, do you not know? Like, that, you would have had to answer to that at, on your deathbed. Like, you would have, the Lord would have called you out for that, I have no doubt. So because you wouldn't say that to someone in person— You'll just fire it off on Twitter as a as a gotcha quote tweet because you think that's going to gain you followers or it's going to make you cool to the trad bros or it's going to like give you some sort of influence in this weird online parish of your own creation. I'm sorry. No, dude, you're not worthy of the collar if that's what you think is OK. Um, and, and I say that as someone who has called priests out and has sometimes well and sometimes poorly and. I've been blocked by a handful of priests. Sometimes I block them first, you know, like <laughs> I don't need that in my life. I've got good priests that I can just call yeah. up and we can have good conversation in person. And and it, it just, it fires me up that we think that we think that these phones and we think that this Twitter doesn't matter. Yes, yes. Like you're a convert. You saw all that stuff. Like that could have driven you away from yes. the path to Jesus Christ by way of the sacraments. Yeah. Do we believe that that's the truth? Do we? And if so, then live like it, even online. The the number of and the, you're so right with that, Katie. For for me, definitely, I didn't know a single Catholic in yeah. person until I began RCIA. Honestly, then I met some marginally okay and they Catholics. Were the, yeah, they were the gossipy right? Catholics. Yeah. yeah, but the majority of Catholics that I, that I knew were from social media, were from Facebook, mm -hmm. were from Twitter. I I. Thank God found a priest named Father Roderick from the Netherlands back when podcasting yeah. was in its infancy. I and used to he's download the, the his, godfather of it. Yeah. He is. I used to download a show on my iPod, plugged it into a, my computer with a timer set to turn the computer on and download podcasts in a batch file. Like it was yeah. like old school podcasting. I found him early on and he gave me such hope for, for priests because he was a great guy. He's kind, he's cordial, he's thoughtful, he's funny, he likes Star Trek and Star Wars yeah. and yeah. right. I met him early on, met in, in the podcasting sense, right. but I really didn't know that many Catholics in person until quite late in my in my journey. And so many people that I, I've talked to on this show or emails that I've got or people that have been on this show telling their own journeys are, are in a similar place where mm -hmm. they don't actually know any Catholics in person. They've mm -hmm. met so many through social media, through Facebook or Instagram or, or, or Twitter or, or TikTok. And how detrimental is that if the the mm -hmm. priests that are out there that are on there are those priests with those hot takes saying mm -hmm. those stupid things like like you say you would never say hey are you an idiot right to this guy who's looking at this statue yeah in yeah. person you'd never say that I hope yeah but yeah. somehow on Twitter that's okay that's okay yeah you know, because yeah yeah <laughs> I think what 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 gets me 
And J.D. Flynn from The Pillar, and a, a lovely Catholic guy on, on Catholic Twitter, said this a while back, that when we talked about, about the idea of the parish, mm-hmm. that the, the, the parish, like that, a, a pastor is the pastor of everyone mm-hmm. in their territorial parish, whether they're Catholic or not. Right. So, like, that informs my thinking. Imagine this mm-hmm. guy with a question with a statue is a non-Catholic in your parish. You are as responsible for that guy's spiritual health and leading him towards Christ and the Catholic faith as a Catholic in the pew there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how, like, how are you driving a person like that away by those stupid comments like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you're responsible. You're the you're the shepherd, of the, you know, of the sheep that on the last the last day, like that is something that you have to be accountable yeah. for, yeah. whether that yeah. person's in your pew or not, right? I, I guess this, you know, I don't know how. In the, in the scheme of things, how virtual parishes work, right? How, that, how that'll yeah, be determined right, in, the, right, right. in the end of all things, the, the day of judgment. But if this is somebody that you are interacting with on on Twitter, gosh, you have responsibility as as a as a priest for that person's yeah. soul. Yeah, like what? What the yeah. heck? Well, I think too, like it, it's not to say that like every single thing you say has to be received. Like, like some, t- yes, some things yes, are taken yes, out of context, yes. right? Like, you know, I've, there've been like a handful of things I've said on my radio show that one person gets mad at and I'll get an email <laughs> or like a, a tweet that I love those. M- maybe it's not like a full blown further, like you, you could have gone a little further with the thought. This is like the blatant, obnoxious, facetious, just hateful things that a person thinks usually they assume they're being funny when they say it and it's not funny and, and is in fact quite offensive and can be very harmful and, and I think we have to take to heart, like truly be quite considerate of the power of that um, for all of us, like lay Catholics, you know, if, if I, as a mom, if all I ever tweeted out was how much I hated parenting or how tired I was all the time, right? Like, and it gives a really crummy witness to being a mom. So like, there's a, there's a responsibility of a witness to the vocation that's realistic and honest, but also like a loving of other people. Father Mike Schmidt said, and um, I, I interviewed him back in January after his talk at the Seek conference. This is not a name drop. Father Mike's a friend of mine. But we're doing this interview and we're like trying to be formal and we're just cutting up. And at one point I was like, Father, that was a great talk last night, but it was like not your normal talk. Like Father's always good for like a good family story. Talks about his dad a lot. He's got a great dad. You know, his mom recently passed from cancer and at the time she was fighting it. So like I was I was expecting a dad story, a mom story. Like I was expecting something incredibly personal. And it was a good talk, but like none of that was in there. So I asked him about it. I was like, well, how did you write this talk? And he, what he said in answer to the question, he said it like very seriously. And it was a bit jarring because nothing in our interview up to that point had been serious. Uh, and it's lived in my head rent free for months now. He said, if I don't love the audience that I'm speaking to, the talk will be bad. And he just like he sat down and he prayed and like asked the Lord to give him words to love the audience of 17,000 college students well. And out came the talk that he gave and it was wonderful. And it was exactly what he felt they needed to hear. And so, yeah, if I don't love my audience, whether that audience is a podcast audience, whether it's a a radio audience or the people that have chosen to follow me on Twitter, or even like the people who will just see it, like they don't follow me, but they they might see it. I don't love them as God's own creation and in his, his image and likeness and treat them as such, then it will not be good what I share. Um, It will not be received in a way that truth can perhaps be witnessed to. 
Um, and that's, I know that sounds heavy and that sounds like a huge responsibility, but it is. Um, the Sisters of Life have a phrase on the back of their, uh, their medal that they wear around their neck. And it's a line from a poem. Uh, and it's that nothing is whatever, or that nothing is, or like nothing will ever be, I forget exactly what it is, but that nothing will ever be casual or small. Uh, and that idea of so much of our life is lived casually and, oh, this is just some small little thing. It's like, no, 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 everything is weight. Every tweet fired off, every like, every retweet, every quote tweet, every own, every moment has, has significance in the grand scheme. And maybe even more so in like these public spaces where non-Catholics are curious people or you know the person who's trying to revert or whatever sees it you know yeah (laughs) that's excellent i love that that's very well said i want to talk for a second about bad liturgy i'm thinking ways to share the (laughs) ways to share the faith i mean this is a big topic but i can't think of the number of times that i've encountered you know guests in the show talked about this and i've encountered this in my own life and and Mm -hmm. heard stories of this there's this this strange perception, and it's not just priests, it's from like liturgical committees at, at parishes that design things a certain way, and directors of music who choose certain music. There's a strange notion that to share the faith, we gotta change stuff or do it yeah. cooler or you know, reach the youth with songs yeah. from the nineties that I used to sing when I was like an evangelical Don't like in high friends. school, right? Like there's the there's yeah. Oh, it can. Oh, it's, so that's hitting home. It's I had a T-shirt that so said funny. "Go Mad" as a child. I still have it. My kids, I, I use it as like a paint shirt for them. That's amazing. That's amazing. I don't. It's a strange impulse, though, right? That mm-hmm. somehow we can share the faith by dumbing down the liturgy, yeah. making it more accessible, making the songs cooler or hipper, and time. And again, I've never, I've never heard from a person on this show who's converted, never had an email from anyone and said, like, you know what? Oh my gosh, that liturgy was so dumb. I loved it. It like, it totally got it. understood all of it. I'm, I'm Catholic now. That's, <laughs> that's never, that's never the thing, right? But, it, but time and again, we, we, we encounter bad liturgy. Yeah. That's bad because it intends to try and, you know, share the faith mm-hmm. with people. It, why what did- i think well i think <laughs> I, I think bad liturgy is is selfish liturgy yes um, oh. it's an attempt to make yes. ourselves <laughs> the center whether it's with the music whether it's with the flourish upon the readings like i, I mean i've i've been to a perfectly reverent mass that just had a lector that took a few too many liberties with their tone <laughs> and i'm like just read the reading i don't need you to do voices um and that's not an exaggeration. She was a very dramatic woman who always oh. read like the second reading on Good Friday. Um, <laughs> and she's sweet off the ambo, but man, don't give her a mic and expect like a boring set passage. Anyway, um, it's bad liturgy is selfish liturgy. And that can happen. Yeah, yeah. That can happen in um, the super trattiest of parishes or like the, the craziest yes, yeah. and liberalist of parishes, right? Like bad liturgy is liturgy that centers the individual and not the worship of God. Um, And I I think what happens is we just understand, like when we walk into a holy place where everything from our posture to our view to, to our voices is supposed to be lifted higher and focused forward. When we start to look down, we start to look side to side and not vertically. It, it takes us out of that proper orientation that we're supposed to have. Um, I mean, we made a switch. Like we changed parishes a, a few years ago for a couple of reasons. Our kids go to the Catholic school where we go to church now. So we wanted the tuition subsidy. Um, but also because like the liturgy was getting to a point where my kids walked in and they were not drawn forward. 
And if they weren't drawn forward, but were instead drawn down or side to side, it was just, a, it was harder to get through because they didn't think it was any different than just like going to the pizza yeah, restaurant yeah. that we go to on Tuesday nights or like running around at the park. Like they just, it didn't elevate them. And I think there's a, there's something that we're trying to communicate in the liturgy, which is this witness to something that is completely supernatural. We forget this mystical, mysterious, supernatural component of our faith. We try to make everything so ordered and naturalized and like, no, I want the smells, bells and weirdness of Catholicism. I want a thigh bone on the altar and a song in Latin and more smoke than I know what to do with. Cause I'm not going to get that at target. Yeah, yeah. Like I can go get the, the fun Lizzo song and like bubbles at target. I want the smoke, the incense, the homily and Jesus in what looks like a host that's what I want when I walk into church. It's like my trattiest take. Let's surprise everybody. I wear a veil, ladies and gentlemen. And you know why I wear a veil when I go to mass? It, it, I think this is actually the first time I've ever publicly said this in, a, in, a, in anywhere. <laughs> so you're welcome for this like hot take of Katie McGrady. I wear a veil because I can't do that anywhere else in the world. Yeah. And like, but the one place where I get to be like weird Catholic is in church. The one place where like nothing makes sense and there's something that's attractive about that is when I walk into mass. And when we try to make it like every other part of our lives, we lose people. Or people think like, well, why am I coming here? The Protestant church is better music, better donuts, and better preaching, like quite frankly. <laughs> but we have this thing and it's called the Eucharist. And like everything is oriented around us getting to go up there and receive that. And it's selfish of us to deny people that weird smells and bells experience of Catholicism that is otherworldly and supernatural and is a profound witness. I mean, how many people have converted because of balloons yes, yeah. in church versus how many people have converted because of incense and father, like taking time to explain, this is why we're doing this. And this is what matters. And you know, the singing of the anima Christi, I, I it'd be weird if I sang that to my kids in the kitchen, but I get to sing it to them at church. And that's, that's really cool. Sorry, that was I me on Bad Liturgy. <laughs> Trattiest you're ever going to find this me online. Great. This is an exclusive Super Trad. Exclusive Super Trad. Yeah, no, I I'm it. sure, like, me being Super Trad, it's a Novus Order that we go to at a very reverent parish. Everything's in English. We sing the Anima Christi in English. Everything's, it's like, it's it's about as normal as you would get a good Catholic Mass, as it should be, yeah. right? Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, there's so much in there that, that you're right about. I mean, and it is that, that selfish impulse. And, again, <laughs> it's not, again, just a bash on priests because there are a lot of people that are involved in, in making the liturgy what it is, right? right? Mm -hmm. But I, I can think of a particular priest, but lots of priests, too, I think are in this camp, that every homily is just about them, their yeah. experiences, their, mm -hmm. their mom, oh, their dad, their, yeah. <laughs> their, the, the thing that happened to them at, at the Walmart just now, right? Yeah. It's It's... Right, not barely even touching on the the readings for the mass mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. that week, right? And then, then the Eucharistic prayer we're adding extra parts yeah. because Flourishes, be, be, because why? Because no one needs to, and it actually takes you out of yeah. out of that prayer because they stumble they stumble into and stumble out of their ad lib because mm -hmm. it's, it's not natural. It's yeah. not you know what's what's written on the page. It's it's, it's it mm -hmm. doesn't belong there. Mm -hmm. Right, I, I can think of these. I think I told the story once on the show that I witnessed a baptism, literally in the in the baptism, like in the rite of baptism at the mass. the The priest was dumbing it down, yeah, and was going, "Oh, I gotta say this now because this is what the church tells me to say." But you know what? Like this, what it really means is this, or like, "Oh, now, now we'll pray this," but like, 
we kind of have to, guys, but mm-hmm. let's just, like, every element, and he was trying to make it more hip and accessible to the families mm-hmm. that were bringing their kids forward for baptism, but dumbing it down, like, taking away from mm-hmm. that beautiful right. And I thought, like, wh- what is, what is, he, they, what are they trying to accomplish here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. what you're passing on is the beauty of the Catholic faith. Why do you have to make that seem less than it is? Like, yeah. what is... yeah what's happening i I mean bad formation (laughs) bad bad execution but like also i think there is a let's i'm not gonna forgive it quickly but like i think there's a fear that it's i mean i'll go back to the it's too weird or it's too hard or like oh people won't appreciate it or people i think it's oftentimes a lack of faith that people will take the time to maybe go seek out answers for that, which might seem confusing or that they don't understand. Yeah. And like, that is probably true about some people, but I think it's more true that if there's something happening inside a church building and that person happens to be in the church building in the first place, that perhaps we could like trust that individual to be elevated or to be curious enough to ask. There's this, this common thread and, and, I hear it a lot because we're doing a lot of conversation about this of that Pew research that came out years ago that only like 30% of Catholics believe it's really Jesus. Everybody freaked out. Like let's spend millions of dollars to fix that problem. Let's write a gazillion and one programs. Let's launch a thousand ships to fix the problem. And all I kept thinking was we're so focused on that 70% that don't believe that I'm not entirely sure we're concentrating on the 30% that do. And like, I wonder if maybe there'd be some value in asking the 30% that do believe why, and then just doing more of that. And like, here's, here's, I, I, there's a great podcast with Guy Raz, How I Built This. It's my favorite podcast that's ever been created because Guy is just an incredible interviewer. Um, He's just got this great curiosity with his guests and he interviewed the founders of Instagram and Instagram in its earliest days was actually an app called Bourbon uh, and it was a check-in app. And it was failing, like it was tanking. It was a check-in app that had photos and like nobody understood why you would check into a Starbucks and take a picture of your chai tea latte. And so every investor that they're meeting with, they're hitting a wall until one guy said, I want you to just go ask your users why they keep using it. Because once they had a user, the user would stay. They were just having a hard time acquiring users and they discovered it was the photos. And so they're like, oh, like nobody really cares about the location or the rating of the chai tea latte. They just want to see the picture of it. And then if we give them ways to make the picture look better and like photography level, like with these filters, which everybody's already using on Adobe, but now we can just put it on this phone that's already in their pocket. And like Instagram has 2 billion active users <laughs> with 90 million plus posts a day. So they just went and asked the people who were using it and did more of that. And I think in Catholicism, if you were to go ask the 30% who believe, the 30% who show up to mass on Sunday, the 30% who love the smells, bells and whistles and are getting their kids baptized and who are listening to Catholic podcasts and buying all those products and watching those programs, what they would tell you they want more of is the authenticity and the reality like part everything in life is just so easy all the time and not not like the suffering of life but like everything is made to be just easy and accessible yeah, yeah. i can as we were sitting here my husband texted me and said don't forget to place the target order as we were doing this interview i tapped two buttons to place the target order that we needed to place <laughs> for my daughter's school activity tomorrow that's how easy life is mm-hmm. that i can simultaneously have a conversation with you about catholicism and place a target order <laughs> i don't want easy church that's not to say i don't want it to be like accessible don't take me out of context folks i I just i want 
it has to be different. And I think if you were to ask the 30% who stuck around and continue to go even post COVID, that's what they would say. They want it to be everything that it could be in that elevated experience. And, and it's a dumb thing to not give it, you know, it's a bad way to share the faith to try to make it look like everything else in the world. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a great take. That's a nice matured, cold, <laughs> yeah. cold take. There's nothing hot about that. Yeah. There's nothing hot about it. I've and, listened to that podcast episode dozens of times to, to like really understand the secret sauce of thanks that. Thanks for uh, multitasking also. Yes. <laughs> she needed donuts for this like out of the tomb Easter activity oh. that they're doing. <laughs> we briefly had Target in Canada. They came, they failed, and they left again. And they left. And it was Man, very I'm disappointing. Sorry. But I'm now so we're, we're at five minutes from Target across the border. So oh, we're, good. Okay, we're, yeah, just we're doing okay. We can't come order. Come to America. They won't yeah. bring us donuts. We have to go. No. Yeah, you get gotta them. go. Okay, one more thing and I would, I want to ask because this is your this is today's hot take. <laughs> yeah, okay. My Catholic merchandise, take. right? Oh gosh. This this is a thing. Like this is okay. Yeah. So I wore a Jesus, you know, I trust a new shirt mm-hmm. to work today, right? Liturgically appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I for me, I don't know who's going to see that and care. Nobody yeah. asked nobody asked questions. No one seems to care. I don't know, but there could be somebody who saw that and, and yeah, went, you never know. Well, I wonder about that and I have more questions, right? They might see my, you know, you rocking some cool Catholic socks yeah, or something, yeah, yeah. right? Drinking your Catholic coffee. There's, as you know, <laughs> this this fine line between we're marketing the faith and we're, we're sharing the faith. I'm a big mm-hmm. proponent of supporting Catholic and Christian businesses in town mm-hmm. because I know mm-hmm. or I hope that when I give them my money, they'll use that money prudently and wisely mm-hmm. and reinvest mm-hmm. in Catholic things and Christian things and, and the church and grow that. So, that's that's one thing, but there is that weird thing of of marketing, of, of yeah. buying right. My 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 family goes to an evangelical mega church that was very, very marketed. Yeah. And the pastor was arrested for abuse scandals. Right now we know a lot about that in the Catholic mm-hmm. Church. That's not mm-hmm. a surprise. You know, we're not, I'm not saying that we're better than than that kind of thing. Right, 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 right. Right. right? But there there's a downside to the heavily marketed yeah. like you know, marketing you know, selling Catholicism, selling, yeah, the, the, selling the faith. Yeah, right? the Catholic there's, industrial complex. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a productization, and I, uh, I gave my hot take on this on Twitter <laughs> um, yeah. because, and it all was triggered by two things. I got a DM on the Easter vigil from a very well-known priest on Instagram asking me to market this product of his. Like, could I send you one to give away? On Easter Vigil night at 6 p.m., like, dude, you're not getting ready for church? Like, that was, like, the first thought. It was like, aren't you, like, don't you guys have, like, a big fire to go set up in a few minutes? Like, that was, and as somebody who's gone to the vigil for years, is my favorite liturgy of the year and haven't been since having kids because it's just not feasible. (laughs) um, I just, it made me viscerally angry. And then he sent me the product anyway, so he, you know, already had my, my address apparently. Uh, and it's like nothing special. Okay, cool. Like it's a rosary. Great. Um, so it's just like, it irked me that do your job, man. Like don't sell rosaries, (laughs) go like get ready for church. So that, that was like the first thing that kind of like triggered this thought of what are we doing? Like merchandising, everything, productizing, everything, selling everything. It's not to say that Catholic products are bad. You can see my office uh, there. I'm surrounded. (laughs) I'm surrounded by Catholic things of both subscription boxes and things that people have sent me and stuff that I've purchased. It's when we tell people this product is the thing that you need, that you must have, that will make you this type of Catholic that has this aesthetic, that has this vibe, that like seeks out 
the love of Jesus. Yeah. And and it triggered this morning, the day they were recording this, uh, somebody had posted this big long thing about an apron uh, that has flowers on it. It's like $50. Um, <laughs> no. And like cook with the saints. And <laughs> my apron is a $7 Target apron that I bought in the hearth and hand clearance rack two summers ago mm. that's covered in grease stains. And it's like, I'm not less Catholic because I cook with the old apron. But somebody's going to see that some vulnerable individual who maybe feels alone, who longs to be married, who maybe is like just their family didn't come over for Easter, whatever it is like that. It, I feel like it's predatory in some ways in an attempt to sell a product. Now, I, I this is not me trying to read the hearts of people who make Catholic products. And like I host a couple podcasts that sell ads. So like and I like get paid by an archdiocese to talk on the radio for two hours every day. Like this is not me saying Catholics can't get paid. This is not me saying that everything in Catholicism needs to be free it's it's more just like I, I feel like this thing is happening where we believe that the best way to be catholic has to look this way yeah. with these yeah. things having followed these steps and like how similar all the sinners and how diverse the saints i just keep going back to that line where if we convince everybody to buy the same stuff like eventually we're all just going to look like little catholic automatons like if everybody's just like like wearing the same t-shirts and hanging the same things in their homes and like doing the same activities with their kids for liturgical living. Like at what point does that all just kind of break apart? And we like wake up and realize, Oh my gosh, like I'm just allowing people to give me things that express my faith or look like my faith, but I'm not living my faith. Or like, I feel like I'm punching the card because this box of activities has come to my house, but then like, I don't do them with my kids because there's, there's too difficult to do, but I bought the box. So that was like half the battle. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm ragging on things that I purchase and buy and use and have promoted. So like, I realize how much of a hypocrite I am by saying this, but it's just been kind of eating away at me since Easter vigil night when I was asked to promote this product. And then this morning with a darn apron, so it's like, <laughs> absolutely not. Nobody needs to spend $50 on an apron. The purpose of them is to get dirty. They need to be cheap and easy to clean. And this is like hand embroidered, like washed by hand in a sink. Like I don't have time for that. Nor does it make me more Catholic to buy it. Um, oh, okay. That's my rage moment. That was my hot take. <laughs> of course, some people took it out of context and a lot of people agreed. I, I to agree with me. I, I, I'm quite confident in the opinion. It's more just like, this is something I've been yeah, grappling yeah. with. And I, at the end of the day, I think that's a really cool way to share the faith. Hey, this is something I'm practicing. This is something I'm struggling with. This is something I'm trying to understand. Let's talk about it. And let's talk about it kindly. And let's talk about it. Not like we're clanging, clashing symbols, but like try to treat one another with dignity and love. Somebody that disagreed with me, who I know in real life, shot me a text message. He's like, I want to understand. Because like you get paid to speak is it not wrong for you to go get paid to speak? And I was like, you're right. That is a, a valid criticism. It's why I called myself a hypocrite in criticizing the merchandising of things when like I allow people to pay me money to come give them a talk. What's the difference between intellectual property and like a real life product? But this is something I'm trying to understand yeah. more deeply. And like, I think we can have a good conversation about it. And maybe give a good witness to the faith in, in the process, you know? <laughs> that's that's very, my rant. That's Sorry. very well said. And you brought it right back around like to how to do that properly. I love that. Mm -hmm. You know, I had thought about, about having a conversation at the end of this about how to share the faith well, but every yeah. time you just, you kind of turn around and say, well, let's try this. Try <laughs> they pay me the big bucks. Yeah, yeah very, well, <laughs> very well done. And I think you're right in that that, like regardless of whether or not where we fall on the idea of Catholic products, that conversation being held like that cordially and wrestling with that, 
that is you know a good kind of way to share the faith that's a good mm-hmm. witness here's mm-hmm. somebody struggling with this question talking about it like yeah that mm-hmm. that's good yeah <laughs> that's a good, i think that's, so that's a good thing and like nobody yeah. i i will say i think i've I've done this a lot in my radio show where we do this thing on, on the Katie McGrady show called low stakes controversy, where I announced to my audience, here's a conversation I'd like to have, but I would like to have it without anybody yelling at the other caller. I'd like to have it with like, you get to express your opinion. I'm going to give you space to express that opinion. I might ask you more questions about it. I might tell you what my opinion is. And I I think I've trained my listeners well, like they know I'll, I'll hit the the dump button if they don't follow the rules, (laughs) but also like, let's learn actually how to have these conversations. And, And that's, it's a dying art in families. It's a dying art among friends. We've taken things to text. And so you lose a little bit of nuance and maybe that's part of why Twitter is sometimes so difficult because you can't hear the tone. Um, but I think it's worth trying, you know, and I, I think I think we'll have to answer for it if we don't. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you're right on the on the the product thing too. I can remember when all and, and you were among the crowd, I'm sure, Katie. Influencers were getting their the first copy of the Word on Fire Bible. <laughs> Everyone's posting their pictures. And I waited and I waited and I waited. And I got a copy, okay? I got a copy eventually. They were sending me a copy. But th- there was that weird kind of like, what emotion am I feeling here? Mm-hmm. That I'm feeling like I'm being left out because I'm the, I haven't got this this new edition mm-hmm. of a Bible. Like yeah. that was a really weird, and it's, it's a great Bible. Yeah. I love it. Okay, I do, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I do love it. It's wonderful. But there was that weird space where like, what what's going on here? Yeah, like, we, I we should try to less, manufacture it. Yeah, uh, we manufacture pack. hype. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's the fire festival, right? Like everybody yeah. posted the orange. Yeah. Not, now, I, I, full disclosure, I'm writing one of the intros for the next volume of the Word on Fire Bible, so I, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. Like enough so yeah. that I immediately said yes to that invitation. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's what happened with the fire festival. Everybody posts an orange block to like spark conversation. Oh, what's coming? What's coming? What's coming? And then it all blew up in everybody's face. <laughs> um. We do that, I think, because we know that at the end of the day, what we're sharing is truth or we're trying to. Yeah. Um, and, and so if I can spark conversation, even if it seems a bit inorganic, but everybody can see right through that. Right. Uh, this is why I, I, I wonder sometimes again, like when my kids find my Instagram, this keeps me up at night sometimes. <laughs> like when my kids find my Instagram, when they find my Twitter, when they go look at my Facebook, when I'm dead and gone, if you know, we're not all on Mars at that point. Um, are they going to see the same mom online that they saw in their house, whether that's in the replies to a DM or the the quote tweets or the retweets or the, the saying yes or the saying no to promoting something. And I say no a lot more than I say yes. Um, And I I think that question of integrity is something that we all have to very much grapple with, uh, especially when it comes to the way we talk about and share Catholicism and what we did or didn't get to do in certain circles or in certain things that we did or didn't get to have. Um, you know, like what, I remember when they contacted me to ask if I wanted a pre-release copy and I selfishly said yes, because I just wanted to see what it looked like. You know, you're charging this much for it. I want to see what it looks like. Uh, and my sister wanted to see it. My sister, you know, is, is a big fan of it. She thinks it's expensive. You know, pretty things are expensive sometimes. Um, and then it was that we need this many posts or we need this many things about it or, you know, all that different stuff. And I felt dirty. Like I felt kind of skewed. Yeah. Like, oh no, like, and I, I said, can I just do one? Like, can I just like, I, cause I think my followers would see right through that. Cause I've never done more than one for something. And 
kind of pulling back the veil here. I don't think they would be, a lot of people shared, you know, like their valid criticisms of it and how it did or didn't need to be improved. But yeah, that was a weird, that was a weird couple of weeks. Uh, and I, I felt, I'll tell you, if you felt weird not getting it, I felt weird getting it. Um, I felt, I felt really weird getting it. And I mean, it's sitting behind me on my office shelf. I use it all the time. Um, again, I'm writing one of the intros yeah, for the next yeah, volume yeah. on uh, First Samuel. So I, I clearly like it, but it did. That was a weird week of like, oh my gosh, did I sell out? Yeah. You know? But it was, it was a weird week for me because I thought, well, first of all, I had my own internal complex. Like, I'm not influenced enough to, to, to get right. that copy. And, and I was, Katie, in the end. I was influenced. Uh, so my, so my ego, my square. ego, my, yeah, yeah, my ego was, was, was satisfied. But in that interim, you know, you're thinking, am I less Catholic without this mm-hmm. thing? Am I incomplete? And you're seeing pictures of this thing. And, and at some point, you know, after I got it and then I'd, I'd looked through it and I'd read it and stuff. At some point, I can't remember what happened, but somebody needed a Bible and my wife said, oh, you just give him that. And I went, no. Like, my reaction was like, also, a it's visceral. Not whole, it's not the whole Bible. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. My reaction was this visceral, like, no one can have that. Like, that's I, mine. that's mine. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, you step back and go, with all these Catholic products and stuff, right? Like, are we less Catholic without these different things we have? This mm-hmm. latest rosary, this latest version of the Bible, this latest mm-hmm. th- different thing. You know, are we more Catholic with this? And then, you know, what's the purpose of this thing that I have? If, I, if I'm not willing to part with this, you know, mm-hmm. if, I, if I can't hold my Bible lightly enough to let it go, like, like yeah. Yeah. what am I doing as a Catholic, It's the, it's right? the silver like, bullet. Oh, this, if I just had this thing, yeah. I'd be more prayerful. If I just had that piece yeah. of technology, yeah. I'd be yeah. more organized. If I, and I, I'm guilty of this. Like, I think we do it. It's just, it feels dirtier when it's the faith. Yeah. Because like, it doesn't cost to go to mass. Yeah. Like I can walk into the adoration chapel and he has freely allowed himself <laughs> to be that tiny, that small, that approachable. And then we put a cost of entry. And again, this is not to say like not charging for conferences or like Patreons yeah, or yeah, yeah. like that. Uh, don't misunderstand me. It's not me saying that those things are bad. It's just me saying that when we sell it as it is the essential. No, the essential is Jesus yeah. in the Eucharist. And when we commercialize that, it just, it gets skeevy. Uh, and did Jesus, my daughter frequently reminds me because this is like a core memory in her little brain that in Holy Week, Holy Week begins with an entrance into Jerusalem on a donkey. Next thing Jesus does is flip tables. Yes. And like she deeply took that to heart this year in Holy Week. And like, why did Jesus flip tables? What was he angry about? Oh, there was money. I, I put a dollar in the basket every mass. Yeah, but it's not the same thing. Mama, you get paid to go speak about Jesus. Oh, crap. Like now my child's calling me out. Like is Jesus flipping tables in my house kind of thing. But like deeply, and I, I maybe that's part of why it's in my head. The Easter Vigil thing, the darn apron. And to be, and here's the other thing. Like I like the apron. I like the apron. It's pretty. I think it, it would be a lovely thing to give to someone. It's the most impractical thing you could possibly use in your kitchen. But like, I like it. Maybe there's like a jealousy in my head of like, it's really, really pretty. I don't, I'm not worthy of such a pretty apron, but it's also like this. I know the Catholic women out there who see products or courses or books or whatever and think that that's the thing that's going to make me the right Catholic Catholic woman or like men who are like, Oh, if I just drink this Catholic beer, like I'll have good Catholic (laughs) male friends. And it's, it's like, no, what you need. The only thing is Jesus in the Eucharist, freely given and available to you in any tabernacle that you can find, <laughs> you know? Uh, 
And there can't be put, if you find somebody that's putting a price tag on that, run the opposite direction, you know? <laughs> and the apron. And the apron. Maybe we, mail me one. Maybe too. I should just yeah. reach out to her and I'm see gonna, if she wants to give me a free one and I can promote it. <laughs> go ahead and mail have like an affiliate link and make some cash. No, I would never. Mail you, I would never. Yeah. Mail you an apron. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy and then do the next podcast with the apron on. With the apron and send you a link I'll send you a yeah, link. I'll, I'll send you a It's, it's a beautiful. I've bought stuff from this woman's shop. I love her stuff. I have an apron. It was um, just for whatever reason, dirty. the apron this morning was like, <laughs> no, come on. Don't go the apron oh. route. Like, come on. I, Albert, I, I, or K Albert, I'm not exactly sure what you go by. K Albert, <laughs> K Albert Little. Oh. Um, this has been fun. I don't mean to cut you no, off. No, I mean, um, this is it. But I, my my children you gotta go. are waiting for mommy's kisses goodnight. I was going to uh, say goodbye. Yeah. And, okay. And leave. I love this. This was great. Thanks for saying. <laughs> I I volunteered to come on and I'm happy I did. Oh, thank you so much. I'll put links to all your awesome things in the show notes. There's yes, lots of places I can find you. Yeah. It's it's awesome. I appreciate you cussing and all on the show this week. So thank you. Thank you, Katie. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Well, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed having that conversation. And and do apologize for the, the rocky ending there, perhaps a little bit. At my fault, went way over time, we should have gone, and I should have stopped it when I had the chance. It was just way too much fun. And yes, yeah, so thank you for Katie for, oh, for, for allowing me to overstay my welcome in, in her office. Uh, wonderful. Uh, your feedback to cordialcatholic at gmail.com please and thank you to hear from you where you're listening from, why you're listening, what you think of episodes like this one. Please do reach out there. We're on social media go figure on Facebook at The Cordial Catholic we're at Cordial Catholic on Twitter on TikTok and on Instagram and thecordialcatholic.com is our website for show notes and for my blog and things that we're doing also can be found there. To support this show, head over to patreon.com slash cordialcatholic or paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. Those links are in the show notes for this show. Find them there if you want to help support this show financially. Uh, ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify help to push the podcast out to new people. So just pause this right now. Go leave a rating or review if you can, because those are really, really important to helping to spread the message of this whole thing. And hey, tell a friend who might enjoy hearing a conversation just like this one. Tell them. <laughs> That'd be great. Thanks for listening, guys. Know that I am praying for you. Pray for me, too. I'll talk to you again next week. And thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for coming back week after week. Thanks. Take care. God bless. Talk to you again soon. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.